I would invite you to be seated. If you brought your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to be starting in the third verse today, and that song we just sang will suddenly make a lot more sense to you. Last week I invited you to join me on an exciting and a rewarding journey of Christian discipleship. Discipleship is both Jesus' invitation as well as His command to what every Christian should be. Unfortunately, some of us hear it as a dirty word. We hear discipleship as something that other people do. Something that we want to avoid. Something that only Jesus freaks are into. You might see it as too much commitment, too much effort, too much Jesus for crying out loud, but that's not God's plan. What that is, is the voice of the author of lies trying to keep you from God's best for you. See, God has an eternal plan for every one of us. And that plan is that our discipleship journey begins when we accept the forgiveness of sins and the assurance of our salvation by accepting Jesus as our Savior and becoming a Christian. That's where it begins. What most churches don't talk about, because it's what most of us don't want to hear, is that we're also commanded by Jesus to be disciples of His who are about the business of making more disciples. That requires us to do more than just accept the free gift of salvation. That requires us to make Jesus the Lord of our lives. That's why the Bible talks about Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Sadly, too many American churches are full of Christians who are not disciples. On the other hand, there are no disciples of Jesus who are not Christians. That's why the Bible talks in the New Testament about disciples 269 times and it uses the word Christian only three. See, too many of our churches in America have preached this soft gospel that says salvation is the key to Christian life. That just isn't fully biblical. The assurance of our salvation is the beginning of Christian living. Discipleship is the heart. It is the action of Christian living. Accepting Jesus as our Savior, folks, that's easy. It's easy because it's all about us. It makes everything about our lives better. It's about what Jesus has done for us. It's simply accepting the free gift that He offers in His death and resurrection. Making Jesus Lord of our life, that's tough. Because that's all about Him. That then becomes about what we do for Him in response to what He has first done for us. So today we're going to take a look at a parable that Jesus taught and we're going to get a glimpse into His priorities. And and when we do that, we're going to gain an understanding of what should be our priorities both as believers and as a church. Now, this parable today might seem heavy. Because in order to understand it, we have to talk about sin and repentance, our sin and our need for repentance. And that might seem heavy, but the thing I don't want you to forget about, and I want you to remember this, is that all of this parable points to a celebration. Last week we left off and there's tax collectors and sinners that had drawn near to Jesus because they wanted to be close to Him. They wanted to learn. They wanted to hear what He had to say to them. And then there was a group of Pharisees and scribes, church leaders, who were critical of Jesus 
and chastised him for the way that he was welcoming these sinners. And then he went on and he ate with them. And I shared with you that choosing to become a disciple isn't about just simply accepting the name Christian and then not doing anything about it. Now, please be clear that your good deeds, the best of them, aren't going to get you into heaven. Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins is what does that. But see, we're invited into an eternity in heaven through the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus did all of the work for us. And when we understand the enormity of that gift, we should want to live as a new person in Him. We should want to recognize what He did for us by becoming that new creation and living differently. That is the beginning of discipleship. So this week I've been wondering and praying and I, I, I wonder, wonder if all of the Christian churches in America were unashamed to preach the Gospel in all of its fullness in all of its grace, in all of its forgiveness, in all of its good news, and in all of the ways that it convicts us of our sin, I wonder if our churches would be full or would our churches be empty? I truly believe the answer is in Scripture. See, when we as comfortable and financially prosperous Americans actually preach the Gospel with God's authority, and not the desire to be politically correct or popular, when we preach the good news of salvation as it is from our sin and eternal death, and we live like we believe it, because that is what our salvation is from, our sin and our eternal death. And if we live like we believe it, when we preach the only hope for the world isn't in money, it isn't in better politicians, it isn't in better plans or politics or armies or any earthly institution, but the hope for our world is in the name of Jesus in the coming kingdom of God, if we all did that, would our churches be filled to the rafters or would people run in the opposite direction because they didn't actually want to hear the hard stuff? Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's Word is alive. And when it is preached and we listen to it, it pierces us straight through our sinful thinking into our sinful hearts. God's Word being preached and taught in its own truthfulness will bring people to God. We saw that last week. Those tax collectors and sinners that wanted to be close to Jesus didn't do so because they expected Him to put His stamp of approval on their actions. So we will preach God's Word and I will continue to encourage you to dare to look in the mirror and confront who you really are, not who you want the world to see and what you want the world to believe, but who you really are as one sinner to another. Are you living with Jesus as number one in your life or are you living with Jesus as your Savior while you hold on to the steering wheel? Who really controls your thoughts and actions and decisions? That's the part that we've got to get a grip on. That's the part that we don't like. It's a tough question, but if we're going to look ourselves in the mirror, that is the question that very quickly becomes a really big one. So in this church, God has called us to speak and preach and teach the full truth of God's Word so that the Holy Spirit can pierce our hearts. 
rather than just entertain in a way that tickles our ears and fluffs our egos. That isn't popular, though. God didn't intend it to be. God intended it to be life-changing. And while that message can feel heavy, because what it does is it doesn't give us wiggle room on our sin. What it also does is makes clear that God never intended us to live there. See, when we're willing to look in the mirror at our own lives, at our hearts and at our motivations, it's to allow God's Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin, our sinful thoughts and behaviors and habits and language, and it never feels good and it's rarely comfortable. But to grow in our faith, to grow and to mature as a Christian and a disciple, it has to be a part of the process. But here's the thing. I am not here to convict you of your sin. I am not here to condemn you of any decision or sin that you've made. I am simply here, and the people that stand in this pulpit are simply here to speak the truth of God's Word, and then we pray that the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit needs to do. And there's two words, and we get them confused an awful lot in our world. We get confused with the words condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is what Satan does to us. And he says, you're not good enough. You haven't tried hard enough. You're not right for that. You will never get it straight. You're still a sinner. And condemnation is what we do to each other when we use the same words about their sin. Conviction is when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And that part isn't so easy. Because the fact of the matter is, I can't convict you of your sin and I should not convict you of your sin. It is not my call on this earth. Nor is it the call of any one of us to convict anyone else nor to condemn. But you know what? It is our call as Christians and as disciples to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. And that can feel heavy. And what we do is we allow God to have access to those private places in our lives. And we say, God, Your Holy Spirit can get at me and to to show me everything that I need to see. And conviction often follows that. But the Bible also says not condemnation because that's not what God wants us to feel. But you also have the option of not doing that. You have the option of not allowing the Holy Spirit to convict you and to not think about your sin. Last week I invited you to join me as we grow as disciples together. So today we're going to look at this parable that Jesus taught in Luke 15. Understand, there's some heavy that goes in the understanding of it, but there's a celebration that comes at the end of it. So Jesus told them this parable. So what's a parable? Age-old literary tool that tells the truth, but isn't necessarily something that happened in history. It's a way of using a story about something to illustrate a greater and deeper spiritual truth. So who it is, when, who is he talking to? Jesus told them this parable. Well, we don't know all of the people that were there, but we know the tax collectors and sinners had drawn near to him, and they were around him. And probably off in the background a little bit were the Pharisees and the scribes, the church leaders, that were doing their best to condemn Jesus and condemn the tax collectors and sinners rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to pierce their heart and convict them. And Jesus is speaking to all of them. They're all within earshot. 
One of you stopped me after the service last week and you said, you know, a parable is really a paradox. And I laughed and I said, that is so right on. Because the truth that Jesus reveals in parables don't always seem obvious to us. They don't always make sense, but God's ways aren't our ways. And the thing is, today, just like in Jesus' day, not everybody understands parables. For some people, the meaning was lost because they didn't want to look at the real object and that was themselves. For some, it was lost because the message wasn't direct and obvious. So as we look at this parable and as we look at others that follow, we will unravel the parable to get to the spiritual truth that's at the inside of it. And and the one that Jesus is really speaking to is us. So He says in verse 4 of chapter 15, What man of you having a hundred sheep... If he has lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it. First thing we have to understand is this. There is a lost sheep that has been separated from the flock not because the shepherd did anything wrong. The text doesn't say that the shepherd was negligent. The text doesn't say the shepherd did anything or didn't do something that he should have. What it says is that the sheep is lost. So it isn't because the shepherd wasn't doing his job. The sheep is lost because he left the flock and went out on its own. It might have been that something off in the distance caught its eye. Maybe something moved. Maybe something glimmered. Maybe the grass looked greener on the other side of the fence. But for whatever reason, that sheep decided to wander away from the shepherd so far that it couldn't find its way back home on his own. Maybe it was a sheep that just had never bonded to the shepherd. Maybe it was a little stubborn. Maybe it thought it knew better and it had just really never learned to recognize the voice of the shepherd. And it simply chose to plot its own course to lostness. Maybe the shepherd didn't trust the sheep. Maybe it was a stubborn sheep and it actually thought that it knew better than the caring, cautious way that the shepherd would provide for and care for the flock. And that sheep had decided in its own little sheep's brain it knew what was best. They can all stay behind. I'm heading off on my own. Maybe it was just simple foolish curiosity that carried it away. Whatever it is, there's one sheep that's off on its own, charting its own course without anyone or anything looking after it to protect it. And here's what the shepherd knew. That that one sheep, without food and water and shelter and protection from wild animals, didn't have a long life ahead of itself and it wouldn't be a very good one. Here's the part where this one starts to hit home, folks. Jesus isn't really talking about sheep. He's talking about us. He's talking about you and I. The way that we understand and trust and listen to Him and the way that we try to chart our own course and head off on our own way. Where this one gets uncomfortable is Jesus talking about us. The Bible talks over and over as us as sheep and Jesus as the Good Shepherd. We're not so very different. We very quickly stray from our shepherd and before you know it, we're lost. And we're caught up by a world around us without ever stopping to think about where we really belong. And before you know it, the way that we see and think about the world and ourselves changes and it becomes like the world around us. In the same way the wilderness can be fatal to the life of a wayward sheep, this world of ours can be very quickly fatal to one of us 
who decides to be wayward and live life out on our own. When we decide to plot our own course and take it in our own direction, the world will not treat us kindly. So what does it mean for us today? How quick are we to schedule something on a Sunday morning because it's more fun than going to church? I hear people say, well, it was a one-time opportunity. You know what? Maybe that song or something in the passage or in the message was the one time in your life you were going to get to hear it. And so we decide we're going to do something that's more fun. How many hours do we spend watching television compared to the minutes that we spend getting to know the heart of God reading our Bibles? What gets more of your time? Your face time with Jesus in prayer or your FaceTime in Facebook. See, the point is, we've all got priorities and we all stray. But there's also one other person in this parable. It's the shepherd. And this is where parable turns to paradox. See, the action of this shepherd, when we read the parable, it seems foolish. Ninety-nine obedient sheep, one reckless disobedient sheep. And it seems crazy on the part of the shepherd that he would run after him. The shepherd leaves the 99 who have trusted his voice, stayed in his care, been obedient to his will for them, and he goes out after. He seeks the one stubborn sheep who has wandered until it was lost. And how long is it that the shepherd is gone? How long does he leave the 99? doesn't tell us. All that it says is he's gone until that one sheep has been found. So why would the shepherd leave 99 obedient sheep to seek out and find one lost sheep? Because that is the purpose of his being. It is why the shepherd was there. It is the reason for his work. It is the reason for his life. To seek out and save even that one lost sheep. He is there to guide and protect and when necessary, save the lost sheep in his care. And that doesn't make sense to us. See, the shepherd isn't concerned about the disobedience of that sheep. He is committed to the well-being of that sheep. And in our world, that doesn't make sense to us. Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus hundreds of years before He's even born. doesn't name Him by name, but we know this is who He's talking about. I'm taking this out of the New Living Translation. But He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. And yet the Lord laid on Him the sins of us all. See, I'm explaining this parable to you in a way that the people that originally hear it, they didn't have. They had the privilege of hearing these words straight out of Jesus' mouth and they had to figure it out for themselves right there on their own. They didn't go back and look at the transcript or the words in the Bible in order to figure it out. That's the very reason Jesus taught this way. Jesus is our shepherd and as His disciples, we're to be like Him, we're to think like Him, act like Him, and love like Him. We are sheep in the midst of a huge flock of sheep. And Jesus loves sheep, all of them, even the disobedient ones that run away. And we will love sheep, even the disobedient ones of us that run away. Why? Because we're great people? No, because we want to be like Jesus. Verse 5, And when he found it, the shepherd, when he found it, 
He lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. You've maybe seen the pictures in religious art of the shepherd with that sheep over his shoulders holding on to the front and the back legs. That's what's happening here. He goes and finds that sheep and he puts it over his shoulders. And when he got to that stubborn sheep, we got to pay attention to what he did do and didn't do. What he did do was pick it up on his shoulders so that it didn't run away again. What he didn't do was kick it. He didn't curse at it. He didn't yell at it for being foolish and stubborn and disobedient. He picked it up and laid it on his shoulders. And he started celebrating. He had every right to be so angry at that sheep. But he put it over his shoulders and he began the celebration. Verse 6, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and he's saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. That seems absolutely crazy to me until you realize Jesus is talking about you and I. He's talking about people. He's talking about Himself as the shepherd and the joy, the celebration, the rejoicing when one stubborn sinner comes home. Luke 19 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The shepherd came to save the lost sheep. So here's the thing, all the way back in verse 4, the word lost in Greek is apolumi. It means lost, could be destroyed, it could be perished, to be cut off. You know what else it means? It means to be spiritually destitute. To be spiritually destitute. That sheep that Jesus talks about that wandered off to the wilderness was destitute. It had no one or nothing to care for it. And those are the words that describe us when we stray from Jesus. That's what happens when we find other things to do than keep ourselves in the heat of faith. We cut ourselves off from spiritual truth. We make ourselves spiritually destitute because of our own choices and actions. And we've got to recognize that we are the sheep that stray from the shepherd. Verse 7, Jesus says, Just so I tell you, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. How much is a sinner worth to Jesus? How much are the despicable and hated tax collectors worth to Him? How about we bring it home? How much are you and I worth to Him? The Bible makes it clear that every single sinner is worth nothing less than the cost of his own life. If you question your identity, if you question your worth or your value, be clear about this one thing. Jesus loves you and He believed that you were worth dying for. And so He did. Jesus knows that our sin might make us look and feel like a big old sin-filled lump of coal. But God created you to be a beautiful diamond if only you let Him bring out His brilliance in you. We'll talk more about that next week. If you want to be a part of a celebration that sends the angels in heaven, literally, the Bible says, into a celebration of joy, do the thing that's most difficult. Walk up to your mirror, look yourself in the face, and allow God's Holy Spirit to show you your sin. 
No excuses. No hiding. Then let down your guard and set aside your pride. Drop the excuses that we all make for our sinful choices and behaviors and habits and call your sin what it is. Sin. Then repent. Confess it. Admit it. Change it. To repent is to turn and to run away from. So you can make excuses for yourself your whole life. We can make excuses for our sinful behavior and our decisions and we can try to justify them our entire life long. But see, the day is going to come when we're not standing before a mirror anymore. We're going to be standing before God, our Creator, and Jesus, His Son, who gave His life for you. At that moment, our excuses will be worth nothing. Not even you and I are going to believe them anymore. See, to begin this journey of discipleship, there's, there's one simple fact that we have to begin with. You can't be worried about the sin of other people more than you are your own sin. We can't be more concerned about the sins of others. We've got to focus completely on our own sin. You on yours and me on mine. God is calling us to repent, not to repeat our sins or our excuses. See, Jesus gave His life so that we could live. And discipleship begins by drawing near to Jesus so that He can see us and know us. And when we do that, our own sin becomes intolerable even to us. It begins to stink in our own noses. Even we can't stand to live in our sinfulness anymore. So this parable is Jesus' call to the Pharisees, to the scribes, to the tax collectors, to the sinners, to you and I to repent. And when we drop our egos and our excuses and embrace, embrace His command, then the lives that we were created for, the life that Jesus died for us to have, can really begin. So here's where it hits home. Here's where this parable gets real close. When you hear this parable and you think about that one lost sheep, that one sinful, stubborn, disobedient sheep, does somebody else's face come to your mind? Or do you think of yourself? Does someone else need the shepherd to go bring them home? Or do you need the shepherd to love you and to bring you home? Are you one of the 99? Or are you the one? So maybe now is the time to thank God for everything He's done for you and say, Jesus, come and get me. Bring me home. I'm done condemning other people for their sin. Holy Spirit, convict me of mine. And let your discipleship journey begin. Do you see yourself in the 99? Or are you the one? Let's pray. God, this is tough stuff and you know that it is. It's tough stuff because we don't like to think about our sin. We don't like to think about our mistakes. We like to have excuses for everything that we do, but we know that in your eyes, we have no excuses. We just have our sin. And God, what we want to do is we want to be a church that doesn't condemn each other, the people around us, the world that we're in. We don't want to condemn anyone we want to invite Your Holy Spirit to convict us of our sins so that we can show and be the light and the love of Jesus in our world. God, my prayer would be that Your Holy Spirit would just sweep through this room. That we would have a heaviness of heart over our sinfulness 
and we would have a joy in the forgiveness that comes from Jesus. And if we choose to hang on to and cling to our sin, then that heavy heart gets heavier and it begins to get cold and it begins to get hard. But if we will look at that sin, if we'll look at ourselves in the mirror and say, God, change my heart, change my thinking in the power of Your Holy Spirit, make me that new creation. God, then we are the one that Jesus comes to find and the celebration becomes about us. And You, God, in Your love, give us the right to make that choice. Thank You for loving us. Thank You for sending Your Son Jesus who left the perfection and the holiness of heaven to come to earth and to live in the mess that we've created only to die for our sins because there's nothing that we can do to escape our sin. God, thank You that the celebration that we read about is about every one of us who humbles ourselves and comes home to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. I had some people this last week say, hey, I took you serious when you said go find someone to help me grow and to disciple me. And, and you know, every one of them that told me that said, I am so excited. I got somebody to talk to, to learn from, and to grow with. Please, please, please be looking around, be praying about who might you ask to be your discipler? Who might you ask to help you grow in your faith and in your knowledge and in your appearance of Jesus? Some of the ways you can help become a part of that is, you know what? We got life groups starting. We got a whole bunch of groups going. There's a, cal- or there's a, a map in the back. If you're not plugged into one, plug into a life group. Start going through life with people that are trying to do the very same thing. 9 a.m. is up at the Senior High Building. 9 a.m. every Sunday, there's a Bible overview class. It's going to be two years beginning to end of the Bible. We're committed to doing that over two years. You'll have a better understanding of the totality of the Bible than a lot of people do who leave the seminary. That's the kind of church we want to have. On Wednesday nights, uh, Pastor Jeff has started a study on the book of Revelation right here at 6.30. If that's always been one of those books you've been interested in but scared of, he's breaking it down in a way that you can very much understand it. Still need a few helpers to help disciple our young people on Wednesday night. And so if God's calling you to that, we need the help. But those young people need adults to help them grow in their faith also. Keep praying for Recovery Church. It's off to a good start, but it's only beginning, so keep lifting that up and praying for it. Now, it might feel heavy to you to come into church on a Sunday morning and have to think about your sin. But realize that this parable is a celebration of the sheep that Jesus put over His shoulders to bring back home. If you are the sinner who repents, Jesus is going to put you over His shoulder and bring you back home again. There's nothing heavy about that. There's celebration about that. Today is maybe for you the day that it's time you take the first step of discipleship and you say, Jesus, I accepted Your gift of salvation a long time ago. Thank You for being my Savior. But today, you know what? I understand it. Today I want to make You my Lord. Today I want to stop driving the car of my life myself. I want to follow You. If that's you, please simply go to one of the four corners where the lights are. Just let the people know there that you're ready for Jesus to be your Savior and the Lord of your life. They'll pray with you. Please do that. For the rest of us, thinking about sin isn't going to be something that we ever escape in this life. But realizing that Jesus died as payment for our sin and that all that He asks us to do is to accept that gift and repent. Repent and to turn and to not do it anymore. Message like this doesn't have to be 
have to be heavy. A message like this can have to be one that you get to come home. And that's what Jesus really wants. So with that, consider who you might have as a discipler, who you might be able to learn and grow from. Come back next week. we got another parable. See what Jesus got to say to us next week. Thanks for coming, folks.